0: Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is the worm episode. Episode 91, our boy Dennis Rodman with his uh Astro Pop Afro. He wore number 91. How about that, Matt Barry? <laughs> I'm still dying of how he started a podcast, but this is the worm episode. The worm, baby. It's the worm episode. <laughs> I mean, he was the worm, man. He was the worm. Incredible.
1: Last week was the freak edition, so...
0: Yeah, it was a freaky dude. Oh, remember Javon, Javon Kirst- Kirsch? Perry? Oh, man. He was a freak, He dude. was one of the first dudes
2: that was coming out of Florida that people were like, this guy's going to change the game at the next level. He did. That guy, That's one of the best nicknames in sports history.
0: It really is. And he did change the game. We touched on it a little bit last week. Just that combination of size and athleticism, especially in that era, was so rare. Now we kind of see it a lot. But – He was way ahead of his time in terms of the way he played the game, the ferocity and speed with which he played. He was different. You want to hear a random thought I had about
2: like yesterday's sports relative to today's sports and and the worm is applicable to this? Can you imagine skinny NBA Shaq playing in the NBA
0: right now? Oh, my. I mean, on top of that, with social media, he would make our boy Omar's job really easy. I mean the Sports Center feed would be Shaq. Every night. Man, he could go. I last week's podcast was interesting, Barry. I'll have to send it to you because Dale Brown. You,
1: hold on, you don't have to send it to him. It's you can just download it. It's available. It's Wherever a podcast, podcast, Marty. He can just yeah. get it.
0: Could he subscribe, rate, and review if yes. he really yeah, wanted you to? to? I do,
2: yeah. And I do subscribe to the Marty Smith America podcast. So I will I will refresh my feed and, and Please give me some cliff notes.
0: That's very kind. Uh, you know, I actually subscribe to the Maddie and the Caddy podcast as well while we're having a big kumbaya. Um, (laughs) before we get to Maddie's path to ESPN and the tremendous career he's built, he, and it is a tremendous career. He's one of the most talented, forward facing on air folks we have at ESPN, and I'm proud to call him a friend. I want to remind you guys of a couple of things. First, please subscribe, rate, and review to Marty Smith's America. We love to hear your feedback. Let us know what you think. You also have to make sure you check out Stupoddy. If you guys love randomness, trust me, this conversation Maddie and I are about to have is going to be really random because I basically called him and said, hey, man, I want you to do my podcast today, and I haven't prepared. So it's going to be really random. And we're going to have Stugats on at some point. Make sure you guys check out Stupoddy. It's the most random of the random. Download and subscribe to Stupodity and this podcast, Marty Smith America, wherever you get your podcasts. I also want you guys to understand how awesome NetSuite is. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. The problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is a hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, one for inventory, on and on. It's just a huge inefficient mess taking up way too much time and way too many resources. And what's that do, Travis? It hurts the bottom line. Nobody wants their bottom line hurt. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite's going to fix all those problems you guys have. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control that you need to grow your business. With NetSuite, you save time, money, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite offers you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Marty. It's free. Just go to netsuite.com slash M-A-R-T-Y to download your free guide seven key strategies to grow your profits netsuite.com slash marty so let's jump into your path maddie you know obviously everybody who follows you knows you went to the cronkite school at arizona state what was it about arizona state that led you to choose to go to school there did you always want to be a broadcaster
2: yeah, I mean, I, when I, when I stopped growing as a senior in high school, I, I knew it was crystal clear that, that anything <laughs> as a sports endeavor was over. And so I said, you know what? I, I'd, I'd love to stay in sports and talk about sports. And, you know, I grew up watching, you know, the local news in the Phoenix area and always just thought the local sportscaster had the greatest job on the planet. And I actually, in a rebellious turn as a, you know, a senior in high school, I was actually, um, accepted and enrolled and ready to go down to the University of Arizona in Tucson just to get away from home. I had a dorm assignment. I was ready to go. And then all of a sudden I said, well, this is stupid. I'm doing this just to get away from home. If I want a good degree for the field that I want to get into after college, go to Arizona State because the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. And so I ended up, uh, last minute changing to Arizona State and it was, uh, it was a great move
0: on to, to, to go there. Wow, man. that's that's a that's a straight trader move. How was the transfer I mean, that's portal? That's like y'all just aren't good enough. I'm staying right here.
2: Yeah, once once you got down to it, I grew up in an Arizona State family, and again it was me just being a rebellious, stupid teenager. And yeah, once I entered the transfer portal, didn't use any eligibility in Tucson and uh <laughs> look it and and I cemented my commitment to Arizona State like any dumb Eighteen-year-old would by getting a frat too, with the sparky on my on my shoulders. So from then from then on, there was there was no going back.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: so ha, but let's back up real quick before we get to yeah. your next couple steps. Describe your high school athletic career for me.
2: I grew up. I played baseball and football. Really, from the time I was shoot five, six, seven, eight years old on. Um, played with the same group of buddies all the way through little league, through Pop Warner. Uh, freshman, sophomore year quarterback, outfielder in, in in baseball had a lot of speed, could cover a lot of terrain out there in the in the outfield. I
0: could see you turning and, on the Jets, Barry.
2: Yeah, yeah, love love roaming the outfield, running down, you know, doing that slide catch for fly balls. Loved doing that. And then I think my junior year, going into my junior year, we had a kid that was two classes ahead of me. He's he's a pretty good quarterback. And so I put on probably 15, 20 pounds, moved to outside linebacker. Oh, snap. Uh, Yeah, moved. It was kind of in that 4-4 defense. And we won the state championship in 1996. Uh, Mike Brown – who would go on to be a hell of a football player at Nebraska and in the NFL for the Bears? He was our our starting tailback, and uh, the easiest thing to do was always just hand Mike the ball. And we, I was we. just
0: gonna say that. What role? Mike, what percentage role did you play in that state title versus Mike Brown's role in that state title?
2: Oh, let's go ninety eight percent to two percent. <laughs> just give just give Mikey the ball. We won. We won the state title that year, forty two to seven against Glendale Ironwood. The thing was over at halftime. We were just—it was just a really, really good team, and and it was fun, man. I look—you know this, Marty. Growing up playing sports, like when you when you're with the same buddies from the time you're ten years old on, and you come up through little league. We had a great travel baseball team. We were the number one ranked team in the state my senior year in baseball. I made the last out in the playoffs. Still carry that with me to this day. But look, it's a heavy burden. It was—it is, man. It was just fun being with your buddies through that time. I—I I, I loved it.
0: I, too, won a state championship as a senior. I'm a couple years older than you, and I maintain I was the least talented starting player in the history of my (laughs) high school football program. And I'm not sure that's much of a reach, but I was one of those passion guys. I I was, you know, I did start. uh, I I had a good career and all of those things. But as I, I wrote in my book, I wrote an entire chapter about the power of high school football in this country. And the impact of high school football in this country. And the fact that it's this amazing community gathering point. And in so many small towns all across this land, it's also the identity of the town. If you win on Friday night, you're winning on Saturday morning. And that's something like it's such an identity play for so many communities. And especially, man, when you put on your shoulders as a 17-year-old, and you lead them to the state championship game and the state championship trophy. I mean, even now at 40, you and I have seen a lot of yeah. man. You and I have had the opportunity to see everything from Tua beating Georgia to Deshaun beating Alabama to Tiger tapping in on 18. to I mean, we've been blessed. But in terms of indelible moments for me, it's hard to encapsulate the emotion that came with winning that state championship. I mean it.
2: Again, it was 96, and I could I can recount every moment to this day. But what, what makes it great for me, and, and and you and I have had a lot of philosophical and life conversations and, and, and about just life and football in general, what it does is I can go back through certain games where I remember being on the field and I look across to the other side of the field and looking into one of my teammates' eyes across the field – Knowing that he was accountable for me and I was accountable for him. It teaches you discipline. It teaches you accountability. It teaches you that, you know, a lot of times when you want it to be about you, it's not. You got to show up places on time. You have to be disciplined on and off the field. It teach, there are so many things that sports teaches you about life, whether it's football or not. And that's why, you know, you hear about some of these, these, these people that aren't for, Final scores and, and winning and losing. I'll tell you what, if you do it right, you should learn more from a loss than you do a win.
0: You better learn to lose because you're going to lose a lot more in this life than you win. That's just the way it happens. That's the way it works. And those who are uber driven, who refuse to accept mediocrity are those that actually prosper. And, you know, certainly you're one of those guys and so you leave Arizona State, and where yeah. all did you work? Where I know you were in Dallas covering the Cowboys yeah. and all that. Yeah, where were so you before when I, Dallas?
2: When I graduated uh, Arizona State in two thousand one, I got my first job, small small market. It was the Wausau Rhinelander market in Wisconsin, wow. and that's about market about market one hundred and forty, and it was for a job that did. Two days news, three days sports. I was a reporter, carried my own equipment. I would be reporting on local city council meetings one night and then doing some you know, high school sports the next night. But what made the job good is I was able to drive down to Green Bay and Madison every weekend during football season and cover the Packers and the Badgers. I got a taste of, of some pretty big-time football right out of college in a very small market. But I hated it. I, I was from Arizona. I wasn't making any money. I was far from home. And I actually, after that first year, a little over a year, I actually quit. I I quit. I didn't have the chest to like kind of persevere at the time. I packed my stuff up and left. And I gave up my career at the age of 22 and ended up moving out to California, uh, bartending in Newport Beach, California on the peninsula, you know, like Tom Cruise and cocktail. Uh, I'm sure it was a lot like that.
0: I'm sure that's exactly what it was.
2: (laughs) I was just killing them because I, I hated my job. I hated no money. I hated where I was living. And and, and finally, Marty, I had had enough. I had been bartending for about eight, nine months. I said, you know what? I'm 20, now 23. I can't believe I gave up my career. I dusted off my tape, sent it back out to small markets, and ended up having to start in a small market again in Lawton, Oklahoma. But same similar size, about 135. But again... I got lucky because when I was in Oklahoma in Lawton, it was about forty-five minutes, fifty minutes away from Norman, uh, where OU mm-hmm. is. And at the time, uh, they had Jason White, who won the Heisman Trophy that year. We got to travel a lot with Oklahoma national championship. They lost to LSU in the Sugar Bowl against you know they lost to LSU Marcus Spears that whole team. And then the year after, the season after was when Adrian Peterson was a true freshman, and so. I had a great opportunity to cover some big-time football there. Oh, by the way, the, the guy uh, coached at Oklahoma State at the time, his name was Les Miles. So I was mm-hmm. indoctrinated into the Les Miles era early. And it was, it's kind of funny how your career works out. I had been in – Oklahoma, in the in Oklahoma market. I had a nice tape together because of the Jason White Heisman team and all of that. And I send it to Tulsa, which it, it's a big market in Oklahoma, about market 60s, you know, bigger market than I was in 135. I accept the job. I'm ready to take it. I had turned down this same job in Tulsa a year before. Unbeknownst to me, sports director hires me. News director holds it against me while the sports director is out on vacation. He hires someone else, and they yank the job from me. What? And so, yeah. So here I am thinking I'm going to a bigger market. I put my two weeks notice in at my station in Lawton, and I'm ready to go. And all of a sudden, it gets yanked from me last minute. How'd you react?
0: What happened next?
2: Not well. I called the sports director. I'm like, dude, what's going on? What the hell's going on? He goes, man. I didn't know this was going to happen. I went away on vacation, thought we were good to go. News director had other ideas, pulled the rug from out from underneath us. So, Marty, what I did was is I, I dusted off my tape. I'll never forget this. It was July 5th, 2005. I, or it was July 1st, 2005. Dust off my tape, send it out again. I get a call from Columbia, South Carolina. Go Cox. Uh, market, about market 80 get a call from the news director. They want to bring me out for an interview. Some It was about a week after I'd i lost the job in Tulsa. I fly out for my interview July 5th, 2005. Steve Spurrier had just gotten a job at the University of South Carolina, and I ended up getting offered that job maybe a week and a half after I'd lost another. So I moved to Columbia. I meet my wife, who was a reporter and anchor at the station at the time. I was there for three years, covered covered Steve Spurrier, I watched him build that program into, to, while he was there, one of the best in the SEC East. And, you know, while I was there, I had to deal with a lot uh, personally. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think I've told you this story before, but, you know, one morning I woke up. And I was going to
0: bring it up. I was going to yeah. bring it up.
2: So, you know, one morning I'd been there, I think, about a year, year and a half, and and I uh, woke up. And something was weird with my left side of my face and my eye, and, and I, it was – couldn't drink water I couldn't put in my contacts uh anyway I ended up being diagnosed with bell's palsy the whole left side of my face was paralyzed and at the time already here I am 25 26 year old thinking I'm you know well on my way in my career and and I I had this happen to me and I was sleeping with an eye patch I wasn't really eating a lot and I basically during football season I was at home doing nothing
0: how did that impact you emotionally?
2: It was awful because I didn't know what I was. I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to do my job again. Like there's one thing that I love doing, which is my job. I, um, I, I, and I don't want this to sound insensitive, in but at twenty five, I felt eighty five. You know, little things that, li, am the littlest thing. Like taking a, a sip of water, I couldn't do because it, it would it would drool out of the left side of my mouth every day. Every day that I would try to eat and i really couldn't eat that well i would i would cry every day i had lunch for about a week and a half literally sit there and sob because i couldn't eat my lunch because of the way my the because of facial paralysis
0: what fear was that that would be permanent
2: heavily because every doctor that i that i had spoken to said you know it depends on the severity of the case some people everything comes back and you never know you had it. Some people there's residuals for the rest of your life. And uh, there's an unfortunate amount of people that you never fully recover. And I said, well, what do I, what do I need to do? How do I do this? And they said, it's all about the nerves regenerating in your face. And so I did everything on set and, get, and be to, to take away the hurt um, from not being a part of college football Saturdays. Like I was before I got this, I would go every Saturday morning during football season. I would go get 40 something needles put in my face, acupuncture mm. to try to regenerate the nerves in my face because I was willing to do whatever it took to see if I could get everything back.
0: What perspective did that give you?
2: I used to take stupid things too seriously. You know, like I used to, oh, my, my sports cast wasn't great or, oh, I, I missed this shot when I was shooting you know because in that kind of market you're still shooting your own video. so I'd be shooting South Carolina football games coming back and editing you know I'd get pissed if a, uh, if a tape didn't roll on time during my sports cast I just remember thinking man if I could get back to just being able to sit on a stupid desk and talk football if I could get back to that I'd be so grateful if I didn't have to sleep with an eye patch. Like you just, how about this? If I could just close my left eyelid again, I would be so grateful.
0: Hmm. And so that's why you needed the eye patch because you couldn't close your eye.
2: My eye wouldn't close because the nerves were dead, and so like I, so I had to have an eye patch so nothing would get in there while I was trying to sleep. And people don't know this. Like I remember, you know, they said it's going to get worse before it gets better, and that it's going to be a gradual decline. Why well, I, I would start my mornings, and I've never told anyone this story but my wife. I would start every single one of my mornings for over a month. And the first word that I would say is Steve Spurrier because it was so hard to say hmm. because of the way that my face was paralyzed. I couldn't say the sp- I couldn't do the SPU. And so if I could, Every day I'd be like, Steve, you know, try to say Steve Spurrier and the more comfortable that I got. That was the that was literally the first thing that I would say in the morning to see if I could move my mouth the way that I needed to. And eventually it got to the point where I could do a little bit of radio. I was doing radio at the time as well as TV. It was coming back enough. You could still tell. And I think about after about a month and a half, two months after I, I took some short-term disability from work, I went back. Uh, we just produce at the news station. I didn't want to be back on TV. I was very self conscious because you could still tell. But I'll never forget that first when I was getting needles in my face, acupuncture. There was a Saturday. I think it was when I think it was when South Carolina was on the road at LSU, and Les Miles did a fake field goal and kind of give a gave, gave a cap tip to Spurrier that day. I'll, I'll never forget that morning. I was, um, at acupuncture and one of the needles in my face started to move. And I, the excitement that I got over that because it meant that whatever was going on with the nerves in my face, one of them had found enough to move and twitch. And anytime I got a twitch, it was a victory. And, and it was some. I didn't know that I was going to come back from it. And I, and I did without my wife Ashley and her support. Like she, there were times where she let me like, Feel sorry for myself. And there were times it's like, no, get up. We're going for a walk. I was like, but I got an eye patch on. It's like, I don't care. We're going for a walk. And so I was able to, able to come back from it. And it wasn't too long after I, I was able, you know, I promised myself just to really enjoy what you're doing and who you're doing it with. And it was probably about six months after I got a call uh, from a buddy of mine who was at the NBC station in Dallas and said, Hey, this isn't for public consumption, but I think our our sport, one of our sports guys is leaving and he and I came up through Oklahoma together, small market TV in Oklahoma. He was at the station in Tulsa where I didn't get the job and he ended up being in Dallas. Said, I think he'd be perfect for this gig. Send me your tape, I'll walk in and into the news director. So I sent him a tape and it was probably six and a half, seven months after I had gotten to a point where I was comfortable enough being on TV for Bells Policy in Columbia, I got offered the job in Dallas and uh which was a really big career break for me being twenty nine years old in the in the fifth ranked market in the country it was it was
0: it was incredible you were off and run. what was that time increment between when you when when you first realized that something was wrong and then you were on the back side of it?
2: when I thought that I was gone, I remember thinking that it was gone enough and it was around Thanksgiving. Let me think. It was right at the start of the football season. And I think towards the end of Thanksgiving, I thought that I was good enough to go back. And I was, I, I, it was a few months and, but I remember after the fact watching when I first went back on TV and noticing, like I could tell that I'd still had a little bit of it, but at the time, you know, everything's in the eye of the beholder and, 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 and at that time I thought based on where I was, I felt pretty damn good being back out there. And, and it was little things. I think, I think right when my eye was able to close, I think when I could start closing my eye, I was like, okay, there's enough back to where I'm not going to be able to not blink or, you know, my, the droop in my lower left side wasn't as pronounced as it was. And again, uh, face twitching, man, uh, Every time, even to this day, I get little twitches in my eye here and there, but they still make me smile because I knew a a twitch was a good sign.
0: What was that moment like the first time you said Steve Spurrier without any impediment?
2: I called my wife at work. I was like, I did it. She's like, what do you mean I did I was like, I said Steve Spurrier the way you're supposed to say (laughs) Steve Spurrier. And she's like, what are you talking about? And that's when I told her. I said, I've been doing this every morning because I knew it was a tough name for me to say. Because the so, day that I got diagnosed, I was doing radio and I'll never, we were, I was doing a radio show with my buddy Tim Hill and, uh, and I couldn't say it during the show. And I'm like, why can't I talk? So then we started Googling symptoms and it was either a brain tumor, a stroke, or Bell's palsy. And I'm like, well, neither of these three are good. And I'll never, <laughs> that day, when I knew something was wrong, I couldn't say his name. And so that just ended up being, being the name that I use to, to indicate whether I was on my way back or not.
0: It's amazing, dude. You I mean, you look at you now and I mean, you, you have one of the most prominent roles in all of college football broadcasting. You're up there with coach O and Joe Burrow. Yeah. After they beat the breaks off of Oklahoma in the peach bowl and you're bestowing them the semifinal trophy as Victors of the peach bowl and you're speaking to not only what 85,000 people or whatever that place holds, maybe more than that. I don't know, but the world. Yeah. And I mean, that's just, that's amazing. Uh, I, I, it's amazing to, to consider where you are now and, and
2: you know what too, Marty is that every once in a while, I'll get a reminder from and and that's why, you know, the Dallas era, I was there for five years, traveled with the Cowboys, and it, it really was an incredible uh moment of my career. But the Columbia connection for me is still means the most because of what I went through and because of meeting my wife there. And it's it's the one that means the most. And I uh every once in a while, and I bring this up because of what you were saying about the 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 peach bowl with LSU Oklahoma, I got a text from Uh, a couple of people from my time in Columbia that were involved in the football program at the time that texted me saying, Hey, great seeing you. Like you're killing it. And it made me smile because here I was on that stage doing that, but it was them reaching out to me about Columbia a decade or so earlier. And it really made me take stock of, of,
0: of where I had come from. It's a long way in 10 years, bro. I mean, that's, that's a long way in, in a team yeah. span. What What were those Dallas years? What did you learn while you were with America's team?
2: Yeah, I got the job uh, July. My first day on the job was July 20th, 2008. I get there July 20th, 2008. I've got my indoctrination at the station out there. And then they said, all right, you know, great stuff. Now you get to hop on the plane and go to Oxnard, California for Cowboys training camp. So I'd been in Dallas, not even 48 hours. I'm flying West to Oxnard to spend my first training camp with the Dallas Cowboys. And it was the year that hard knocks was covering the Cowboys. And so I go from SEC football to the most powerful brand in the NFL, Jerry Jones, uh, Tony Romo, Witten, all of these guys, and you're with them. You're embedded with them from the start of the season to the end of the season. That was my job. I'd go on the road with them on their road games. I was with them everywhere they went. And you got, I got to see the inner workings and the differences between how college football is relative to the business of the NFL and seeing Jerry, this larger-than-life personality, um, and how he ran a franchise. Wade Phillips was the head coach at the time. They had just drafted Felix Jones and Martellus Bennett. Uh, they had Pac-Man Jones and Terrell Owens. I mean,
0: these teams What a were, cast of characters, man. I'm
2: telling you, Tank Johnson, all of them. It was incredible. And here I am trying to. Well, and for me, it was big, Marty, because I was 29 years old. That's a, you know, a spiky haircut. And Dallas was a country club market of guys that had been in the market forever. And here comes this this 29-year-old that I'm positive, nine out of the ten media members in there thought that I was there, just, be, you know, oh, he probably comes cheap because he came from a smaller market. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just about proving that I belonged in that market. And so here I am trying to get familiar with how to cover an NFL team and then trying to prove to everyone that I belonged in a market this size covering a team like the Cowboys. And so that first few months was tough because I I, I – I was trying to fight the perception of he's 29, he doesn't belong here while doing my job and, and, and covering this team who was just coming off a 13 and three year. When did you know you belonged in Dallas? It was that first, first cycle we were doing. My photographer and I know a bullard, one of the most talented, uh, photographers in the country. We did the story, and one of my jobs in Dallas was to tell long-form features for our Sunday night show. That's awesome. And we told – and I love storytelling. I just love every bit about it. And we told a story. It was called A Game of Hope, and it was about a school that was in Gainesville, Texas. It was a prison, but they had a football team. They always played on the road. Everyone thought they were a bunch of thugs and criminals. Well, one team that they played decided that they, their fans were going to cheer for the, the Gainesville school, and we told this story. I and I'll you know, I watched it the other day, and I just I I, I get emotional watching it because it was just such a it was just such a powerful thing. Anyway, we ended up winning just about every award in the book for it, and what it did is it just for me. And it was an award given by peers and other, I mean, we won Emmys. We won Edward R. Murrow's. We won, I mean, just just about every award you could win. And I think for me, that just solidified the fact, like, you know what? I can do stuff at this level, at this age in a market where people might doubt me a little bit. And uh, when when we told that story and I got through my first Cowboy season and station management was happy, but then a couple of, you know, out of house accolades came and I, I I knew that I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be here for a while. And, and I look forward to taking these resources in this market for a spin. What was
0: it like when ESPN called?
2: Well, that, that's a funny story because 2011 we had just NBC universal had just been bought by Comcast. I had just had my first contract and in at NBC, we were an owned and operated station. I had just had my first contract ripped up because they said that I had outperformed what I came in on, they ripped up my deal, signed me to a new deal. And this had just happened when my agent called and said, Hey, look, the ESPN's launching this network called the Longhorn Network. And they're looking for people with Texas ties. And I said, well, I said, I, you, that, that sounds fun, but man, I love traveling with the Cowboys. Mavs had good teams and they, you know, they were going to the finals. The Rangers were going to back to back World Series. I'm like, man, I, I, I like where I'm at, but yeah, I'll, 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 I'll go audition for it. So I, I went up to Bristol and auditioned for what I thought was the Longhorn Network. And uh, Stephanie Druley, she was launching the network. I met with her. This is back in 2011, met with her, Patrick Donahue, all these great people at ESPN. I auditioned with Matt Millen. And Matt Millen, all right. I auditioned with Matt Millen and the audition went great. And during the audition, after we were done, uh, Donna, her pulls me aside. is like, Hey, I want you to meet with a couple of other people. And I said, awesome. I'd love to. And I started meeting with non Longhorn network executives mm-hmm. and to make a long story short, about two, three weeks later, I get a call from my agent that said that they didn't want to, we, we didn't get the long run network job. And I was bummed. I'm like, Oh man, man, I, I I really got intoxicated by that ESPN way. He's like, you got offered a job in Bristol. And I was like, Whoa. He's like, yeah, they want you. You, you got offered a job in Bristol. Basically, there were some dominoes that needed to have happen for that job to open up. They did. They they filled the Longhorn spot with Lowell Galindo, who continues to do an incredible job. Uh, Dari Noka, one of my favorites, moved from Bristol to Charlotte, opening the spot in, in Bristol. So we agreed to a deal. We get the negotiations done, and everything's agreed on under the premise. Like, hey, look, I'm not the weekday guy in Dallas. I'm not the sports director, so they shouldn't have a problem with me getting out of my contract. Go back, tell Dallas – Dallas proceeds to tell me, uh, no chance. You're not leaving here. You're not getting out wow. of your contract. You're telling ESPN no. So understandably, I was furious. I felt that you know my, contra- my career was being held hostage. We had to go back and tell ESPN after we had verbally agreed on a deal. It wasn't happening. Understandably, ESPN was very unhappy that we had wasted time, resources, etc., on the premise that I was going to be taking the job. And I had two years left of my deal. So for two years, I had to keep ESPN not hating me. And I had to show up at a workplace that told me no to my dream and put on a good face. How
0: did you and, do
2: that? How did oh, you do that? Oh, that was tough. Did you know, honestly, the best thing that happened to me is it happened right before Cowboys training camp. And I was basically gone at training camp for a month. So I didn't have to be at the station. And I could be at my happy place, which was training camp. So it was kind of timing. But it, it, took, it took a lot. Like it – it. I mean it took a lot for me because I don't know what it was, Marty, but I woke up one day and I said, you know what? I'm going to be judged more for how I handle this no doubt. than anything else that I had accomplished prior to that, anything. And so football season um, timed out well to where I was busy with that we told a couple of more long form stories that won a few more awards and, and, you know, it was Dallas. It was a great place to work and, and live. And after the the following football season, the 2012 football season, ESPN called back and said, Hey, head counts open. We have a spot for Matt, but you know, it's going to have to happen this time. And so two football seasons later, I'd accept the ESPN waited, um, held the spot, held a spot, or had a spot, rather. And I ended up accepting the job at ESPN in the in, in winter of
0: 2012 and have been there ever since. We'll get back to our conversation with Maddie in just a second. But first, the best teams start with great talent. Finding the right people, though, can be a challenge. When it comes to hiring quality talent for your business, Zip Recruiter can help you find the perfect candidates for your team fast, From healthcare, to manufacturing, to business services, and more. And now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 job sites, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right skills and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply for that job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. And right now to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-Y, ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now back to my conversation with SportsCenter anchor Matt Berry. How would you describe the experience of working at ESPN? Changes daily.
2: It's a, it's a day. You know, when you're in local news, it's the same, and local TV, it's the same calendar every year because you're covering the same team. With ESPN, it's it's a different thing every day, it's because you're covering national sports. It is. Um, it's competitive, and I think that you know, you know me, and I know you. We love competitive. We love being. You know, we love being competitors. You work with the most talented people in the business. So you, you're around the best that there is and you don't realize how your job goes everywhere until you're not in the Bristol world, you know, and, and you don't, you don't think about it much. And, and I would say that, you know, for the first three to six months that I was at ESPN, I was just literally learning where the bathroom was we've got three garbage things there's compost there's recycling there's i was like what the hell is this okay fine <laughs> i guess this is compost and i would just throw it in the you know i was learning little things like that just trying I think i to break that up. law
0: every time i'm up there i just chuck every everything time. in the trash
2: right so you're 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 learning all these things trying not to screw up but again but the way that i'm wired marty it's like all right well i now want to prove to people at espn that i belong at espn i want to prove that to whoever was still there in 2011, when I had to tell him no after telling them yes, that I was worth coming back for in 2012, two football seasons later, like I'm a prove it person. Like I like proving to people that, you know, that I, that I belong at this level. And I was one of those that came in. I kind of just kept my head down and I've had opportunities along the way and, and sometimes I'm not. You know, we all are are guilty of of expectations. And I I feel that, you know, the fact that I've been there seven years now, It just sometimes I wake up and I'm like, why and how has it been seven years?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I started in September of 06. So what is (laughs) it? I'm working on 13, 14. Yeah, it's a long time. And, you know, one thing that I'm so, so proud of is the fact that, I've been able to grow into a reporter and even a host in some cases with great diversity in terms of the sports I cover and the subjects I cover. And you've been able to do that same thing, which is inherent to being a sports center anchor, certainly. But you have so many different roles. You know, we have your college football role and then your sports center role and your master's role and your PGA championship role and all of these different all of these different little sectors all converge w- w- to the same person's path. Mm-hmm. And if you would have told me that I would have that opportunity when I was younger, I would have been like the hell are you talking about. There's no right. way. I wake up thinking that almost on a daily basis. I mean, I did four sports in a week 2 weeks ago. And so <laughs> you, you know, you just kind of go, what the hell? But you're in the same kind of situation and I'm curious what your preparation is like so that you can make sure all the names are right. You know, you're so flawless, especially when you're doing, you know, uh, what you're doing in college football with Joey and Jesse and, and, you know, Kirk Herbstreet has always been such a great advocate for what you do and how you do it. What's the preparation? that you take to make sure that it's muscle memory. When you get there,
2: you'd speak to colleges. So you get this and I, and I do the same thing that you tell them, you're like, just cause you, you leave school. doesn't mean your homework's done. Like I do homework all of the time because in sports center, prime example, just this week in one sports center, I was doing college basketball, NBA, golf, NFL combine and major league baseball. Oh, and hockey. Mm-hmm. So that five six sports right there that you just have to know enough about and, and and understand and study up on. And I now that I'm on this this new schedule with the noon, it's you know I joke around that it's more human hours. but first thing I do when my alarm goes off. literally every <laughs> single morning, I pick up my phone. And I go to the ESPN.com app. I look at the scores of the notable games that I know that were big the night before if I didn't watch them. And I just start scrolling through things and having a working idea of what's going on prior to me going into the network every day. And then when college football comes around, I won't wait much longer than after the spring games in April and May uh, to really start digging in and digesting Same. who's coming back and what teams are – you know, the, You don't. Know, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle. I get maybe two weeks to where I'm not looking at something. I just read this article the other day on The Athletic, which I think is a phenomenal resource so do I. and website. I, read, I just read this this long form on Bob Diaco that for whatever reason, now if something comes up about Diaco, I'm going to be able to wax poetic on it just because you do your homework. And, you know, I, and I'm, I'm, I love recruiting, and so by the time – some of these players are, are sophomores. Some of them are good enough to start as freshmen. But you kind of, Marty, you just kind of find that that pattern that works for you and for me. It's it's during this time of year knowing enough about the sports that I need to be responsible for for Sports Center, and then sinking my teeth into the ones that I really really love, which are golf and, and college football.
0: It's been an amazing path, man. I'm I'm just so proud of you and. You know, for those of you guys listening who may not know, Maddie's, I mean, one of my two or three best friends in the company and we've really buoyed one another emotionally and championed one another during our triumphs and, and our failures and our, mm-hmm. and our desires that may or may not work out the way we hoped they would. And so I'm just really proud of you, man. It's, uh, you're one of the absolute most talented people in our company. And you're a jack, but you're one no, of the most of talented people in the company. <laughs> and, and I love you, man. Like, I'm just really you know, proud I love, of
2: you. Yeah, I'll say this. And that for everybody who listens to this podcast, I, I will honest to God tell you, of all the things that I've been fortunate enough to do, there are two times that stick out to me as some of the most memorable moments I've had at ESPN. One of them is... Was sitting in that Airbnb we got in Oxford, Mississippi. Good (laughs) lord! We were just sitting there in this living room and talking about who the hell knows what. But we were just sitting. We were all sitting there in our like go-to bed shorts and t-shirts, just acting like idiots, and then hanging out at the house at the Masters. Uh, Even even Travis was was a part of those nights where we we sit there in you know what it has often i would bet during those conversations sports come up two percent of the time yeah and they everybody always sees us in shirts and ties and tv to me the best moments i've had at that network are when it's outside of work with the people i work with with the conversations that have nothing to do about work i'm glad you brought
1: up the masters though uh matt because for some reason marty though forgot that we were there together last year do you remember that Oh, I forgot about when he, that. No, yeah, he, yeah, he tried to introduce <laughs> us.
2: It's like, dude, I've <laughs> yeah. seen, I've seen Rock in his boxers, 2 a.m. with a bottle of booze. The, I know this. We're dude. at the
1: CFP seminar and I'm sitting there and Barry walks over and he goes, Matt, I want to introduce you to Travis. I'm, I'm like, is he joking or what? We realized that no, Marty's being dead serious and he wanted to introduce us. We lived together for a week.
0: When you're from the South, When you're from the South, you that's what that's cordial. I had completely forgotten about the fact that we lived together for eight straight days. And there's another thing too that I need to bring up before we send Maddie off to whatever in the hell you're going to Massachusetts for. Massachusetts. For a time and it still gets mentioned by uh sports center anchors all the time. When we were doing Sports Center on the Road college football work together back what, twenty fifteen? Somewhere around there? Yeah, yeah right around 2016, there, 2016, yeah. 15. We clairvoyantly, I think, just started on these 7 a.m. live shots, basically yelling at each other on television. <laughs> because Barry would come on, he would welcome me onto the show by saying, go ahead, those famous words.
2: Money!
0: Yes, and then I would repeat. I would respond by going, Manny! And then he would say, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the (laughs) man, the party, the Marty party. And dude, it just took off like a wildfire. I mean, even still, people still yell it at me all the time. We And I forget where we,
2: I forget where we were. It was a week or so, after I'd said it the first time, and there were a couple signs, there were a few signs at one of yeah. our locations, and we kind of looked at each other, like, "What? What the hell did we just do?"
0: I think and then it really
2: became a thing.
0: We can't get were too we far in down Tuscaloosa, a hole, but...
2: yeah. I was way, just gonna say the just...
0: Tuscaloosa thing.
2: Yeah, I think may have been Tuscaloosa, but either way, again, those are some of the moments and I I'll, I'll never forget. I just wish it. And this is kind of a a, a PSA to all the listeners and everybody out there. Uh, just with things that have happened with me recently and I think all of us it's incumbent that we sit and recognize every moment we have cuz I don't now I go back Marty and I'm like, "Man, those were the good old days. I wish then that I knew those were the good old days." But yeah, I didn't. No doubt. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to work on that personally
0: and i think we all are but man that was some fun it's so fun and and we we're just getting started man
2: thoughts yeah. we're just getting we're just started our warm-up this, lap yeah
0: in this game well i appreciate your time man thanks for sharing yeah, all those love amazing you guys. stories you know and and nice man, to meet I love you, you too. and <laughs> hey. hey matt matt this is travis travis is the producer of the marty smith's america podcast if you ever need anything <laughs> let you yeah, I'll, I'll connect you guys all right i'll put us <laughs> all on do. the group text
2: Please do. Let's do. It. By the way, just as a, as a sidebar, I still have the key to that house in Augusta. I forgot to return. it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bid you adieu with the thing that Love I say boys. to you every single time that whether we're on TV or the telephone. Roll tight. <laughs> See you guys. Love you. I really appreciate Matty coming on. Uh, I'm just such a fan of his, and appreciate the spirit that he has in the way he does his job and the passion with which he does his job, and he's funny as hell. We really did have a lot of fun in that master's house, didn't we? A lot of fun. I mean, a lot of fun, dude. We cut up. We raised hell. Well, we drank beers. Well, here's the
1: thing is we get home so late that it's not like we didn't go out. We're too tired. You so we can't go out. We're too exhausted. So it's just you get a bite to eat and you sit on the couch and – the TV's on, but it's not really like you're not watching the TV. It's more just chopping it up, uh, you know, pouring a couple drinks and just enjoying. And really, it's enjoying just the on company. the golf
0: channel. I mean, like we sit there and watch the golf channel. It's it never turns off the golf channel. The entire eight days we're in Augusta, the TV's just on the golf channel, and we sit there and toss a couple back. And again, the Travis's point, we're also tired, and we got to be up so early the next morning. We're like, man, I'm going to bed.
1: Like, it's a lot of fun. Don't want to make it sound like it's not, but yeah, you, it's, you know, you get home and shower and it's work. Yeah. Well, they're at work, dude, but to just, you know, have those cold ones together and talk and get to know people. Cause that's the funny thing is like, we don't, you and I don't see each other much. Right. You know, we're in different states. It's
0: fun though. That house is fun. It's Barry, Travis, Michael Eaves, and me. And that is four very distinct personalities and world class ball busters. And boy, it gets thick in there sometimes. <laughs>
1: I can't wait to get back uh, there.
0: I, I can't wait to get back there either, man. Uh, Travis and I have already done some work leading into the masters for their official podcast that you guys are really going to enjoy. And I can't wait for you guys to hear. Um, again, thanks so much to Matt for coming on. Thanks so much to our law enforcement officials in these little towns and big cities all over the country, are our, our policemen and women, our firemen, first responders. We appreciate everything that you guys do to keep our community safe and healthy. Thanks so much to the United States military. And I am so appreciative that y'all sacrifice for us both here in the United States and all around the globe so that we can live in a free country. We can live in the greatest nation on the planet. I am so, so grateful for y'all. I hope you know it. That is Marty Smith's America, The Worm, episode, volume 91. We'll see y'all next time around. Have an awesome week.